and that's again this is the piece that's very hard for people is that they just go so externally to cultural stuff but one of the things that can help with that is to understand that culture is just a set of beliefs it's not fact huh. it's just a set of beliefs that people have agreed to and culture changes all the time too and that's how you know that it is in fact because it changes all the time oh man we so... start to agree to a different set of facts <laughs> Yeah, this is wild. So you can treat culture the same way you treat your thoughts, essentially. Exactly. Because that's all it is. It's just collective thought. Welcome back to the One Whole Life podcast. My name is Sean Francis, and today's podcast is fantastic. We have a return guest, Dr. Elam. And uh, I just went through the entire thing, and the, the my biggest problem and concern was um, there's too much awesome <laughs> stuff in there that I was trying to cut it out for social media and uh, I'm essentially just reposting the entire podcast. I mean, we talked about depression, what it comes from, what it what looks like, and the miscommunications that's been happening, especially in my life since the very beginning. Um, locus of control, and if you have an internal and external locus of control, what one is better and leads to more success and happiness in life. The problem with perfectionism, behavior change, we just, we, we touched on everything. And <laughs> I left with so many nuggets of wisdom, I am excited to share them with you. Again, if you would like to support what I'm doing, head over to OwlMH, OwlMentalHealth.com. Now, out of respect for Dr. Elam, she asked me if I would read this, and to be honest, I should probably read it at the beginning of every podcast, but here we go. This podcast represents the opinions of Sean Francis and Dr. Marnie K. Elam. The content here should not be taken as medical advice and is not intended to assess, diagnose, or treat any medical or psychological condition. If you think you need immediate assistance, please call 911 or go to your local emergency room. This podcast is for information only. It is not therapy. This podcast is only for informational and educational purposes and should not be considered therapy or any form of treatment. Any person who uses information from this podcast does so at their own risk and neither Mr. Francis nor Dr. Elam shall be held liable in any way for any outcomes of use. Privacy is the utmost importance to us. All people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect the patient confidentiality. This podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made in this podcast. And in no way does listening, reading, emailing, or inter interacting on social media with our content establish a doctor-patient therapeutic relationship. Guys, it is my absolute pleasure to welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Marnie Elam. Confucius said we have two lives, and the second begins when we realize that we only have one. We're all given one whole life. And when we find and break the barriers that are preventing us from living fully, we have an audacious attempt to improve mental health. One Whole Life with Sean Francis. Can we start with that? Uh, the, so I went and saw uh, my psychologist, psychiatrist. I can never remember what one prescribes meds, but... Uh, psychiatrist. To get, psychiatrist, to one to get uh, a refill, or she does a yearly checkup with me. Mm -hmm. And then I mentioned that I'm doing these these podcasts with her and was like, 
I never asked her what depression was. And I've been asking almost every guest, like what, what it is to them. And she, she explained it to me just like everyone else did, but I, I was kind of blown away that like, it wasn't explained to me that, you know, and maybe I'm wrong here. And this is why I'm asking you to, that it was a collection of symptoms and depending on how long or how bad the symptoms get, it can control your life. And that might be the difference between just experiencing a little bit of depression versus like chronic life altering lay in bed all day kind of depression. And she also explained it like, um, it's, it's like having, uh, like a, a heart disease in a way, like you, you can exercise and do all the things right, but there might be just something wrong with you that no amount of exercise or anything that you do is going to help you. You might need meds to help you on that side where other people can do the exercise, do the eating right. And it might help, um, you know, with, uh, with your issues. Is that, is that accurate? Is that, is that kind of how your work around chronic depression versus everyday kind of normal symptoms too, or am I off track there? Well, technically speaking, I mean, when you make the diagnosis of clinical depression, it is the the title of, and this is true for every diagnosis. Okay. Every psychological diagnosis is basically a name that's been applied to a cluster of symptoms that tend to occur together at its basis. So depression being one of those things. So it is this collection of symptoms um, which if severe enough and lasting long enough, the, the minimal amount of time is two weeks. But most people who really have clinical depression, it lasts quite a bit longer than that, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, technically, that is what it is. Okay. In terms of the sort of biology versus behavior, which is kind of what you're talking about when you say like the, the anomaly or the um, analogy of heart disease, where there are behavioral factors and there are biological factors, right? Right. And with with heart disease, you might have genetic factors. You might have a heart, just have a heart defect. There might be something else that's just going on with your heart. And we all know, you know, we've all heard horror stories of somebody that ate really well and exercised every day and did all this stuff and then dropped out of a heart attack at 45. Yeah. And yeah, that, that can still happen. Um, and with depression, some people do seem more prone to it. There it's, it's highly likely that there are perhaps some genetic components to it um, because it, some of the mood disorders um, do run in families. Bipolar tends to be more common in families, depression, those sorts of things. But we also don't know like how much of that might be learned. So if you, if you grow up with a depressed parent and they are constantly very negative and um, depressed and have a lot of depressive thoughts, then of course they're teaching their child and, quite often to to think the same way, not intentionally. It's not, you know, they want their child to be depressed, but children pick up on the way their parents think, right? Yeah. So there may be some factors of just growing up. There's also experiential factors. I mean, if you have a lot of very traumatic things happen to you or very sad things happen to you, those things can go from being sort of a normal grief reaction, normal sadness into depression. If they're not managed well, if they pile up on top of each other if the person doesn't have support for those things so what starts out as non-biological can sort of become biological over time because everything affects the brain right everything you do every you know our behaviors affect our brain our brain affects our behaviors so yeah some people 
with a more mild case of depression who may also develop it at an, an older age. So they have a lot more years of coping and, and not being depressed. So they know what it's like not to be depressed. They may be able to pull out of that more easily without medication. Uh, people who've been depressed for a really long time, who have a very severe depression, uh, who maybe got depressed at a, at a younger age. And so we're not able to have a lot of experiences of coping and those sorts of things may need medication. Okay. Um, it's not bad one or the other, right? I mean, if right. you have a heart problem, hopefully you kind of still need to do both because the flip side of that is the medication isn't going to take care of everything either. If you yeah. continue to eat, you know, a million pounds of cholesterol every day and not do any exercise or whatever, you are greatly risking uh, having a heart attack or increasing heart disease or congestive heart failure or something like that. Um, just because the medication can get overwhelmed by those things. So, okay. you know, and I'm not a doctor, so I'm a physician, so I don't want to, you know, give medical advice or anything, but just from that standpoint of uh, looking at behavioral and biological things, we know that a lot of illnesses have both factors. If you're diabetic, you need to monitor your blood sugar, but you also need to be careful about how much sugar you eat. Yeah. No, right. Exactly. So there's, yeah. there's lots of things out there that it's a, the, the mind and the body are connected. So whatever's going on in the body is going to affect the mind and what's going on in the mind can also affect the body. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, it may, it, it, it just, it feels so new since like you're, you're saying exactly kind of what I've discovered on too. It, I, I'm just, I don't know. Part of me is a little like angry at the system for not being told that sooner or, and then there's another part of me, like, did they know the whole time? Cause it, it seems like we're always just learning new things about how this all works. So, and me being a we kid are. from 1990, whatever, three, when I started this whole thing, it, it was relatively new. Like, I think I mentioned the last one was over prescribed lithium because they didn't know how to treat like kids depression where I was. So they gave me an adult mm -hmm. dose and that created issues in itself. So there's like part of yeah. me that is a little like, like angry about it. And then the other part of me is super compassionate. Like, man, we're just kind of at the forefront of maybe understanding of how all of this works. Well, we are. And the, and the other issue is every individual is different. Right. So we don't have great ways of knowing exactly what's going on with one person, right? Like how this person got to, to hear versus that person got to hear. And we're, you know, we're discovering more and more. There are, I've read recently that there are, there's some research being done on um, some tests some blood tests and things that, that could be done to, to determine like which medication is going to work best, which would be great because lots of people go through multiple medications before they find the one that works. And, you know, yeah. that's, that's not a fun thing to go through. Um, and I'm sure, you know, there's, there's research, depression is very common. So there's a lot of research being done on causes and treatments and that sort of thing. But the fortunate news is, is it doesn't, it doesn't matter to the treatment as much to know how you got depressed. Treatment is right. successful quite regardless of how you got there. Right. Yeah. You mentioned that last time that was really like weight came, kind of came up like you can start right now and start doing. You can. And that's, and that's yeah. great news. I mean, it, news, we yeah. don't have to go through this whole arduous process of figuring out, Oh, well, did this happen? Did that happen? And a lot of times, even if, even if you do that, it's still conjecture. You still don't know exactly why 
somebody might have gotten depressed because sometimes things are coincidental. They're not causal. They occurred right. at the same time, but they're not, they didn't cause each other. So you can conjecture till the cows come home about why somebody might be feeling how they're feeling or have gotten depressed. And you may have part of the answer. I mean, there might be some very, very clear precipitate to it. But for a lot of people, there isn't. And when you ask them, they're like, I don't know. I just started to feel really bad. A bunch of things happened or even nothing happened. I just started to feel bad hmm. and it just got worse and worse. Um, it's, you know, it's likely for, for people who have longer term clinical depression, I think it's something that's what's called overdetermined, which means there's probably multiple factors okay. that happen, biological factors, behavioral factors, experiential things that occurred, um, perhaps internal factors, ways of thinking, viewpoints, those kinds of things. And they all came together um, to cause this problem. Okay. So, so... It feels like like what you said last time too is like the self awareness or maybe just is it watching your patterns or be, or being aware of what's going on internally seemed to be like an important step there, right? And yeah, for me it was when excuse my language like when shit hit the fan that's when I started going <laughs> holy crap what's really going on in, in there you know instead of before it was trying to control external factors when it's <laughs> and I Good every luck. everything I've re- yeah fuck exactly everything I've read is like and talking to to people like you it's like oh it's it's all internal work it's all like uh you gotta be an inner space explorer <laughs> you know kind of a well, I mean, it's not that you can't try to change the environment. I mean, that can be a really yeah. good thing to do if the environment is horrible. You know, if you're in some toxic situation and it's causing you pain, um, then trying to get out of that is probably a good idea. But getting out of it still requires that you take the action. Right. right that's, that's the problem is that when people spend a lot of time trying to control all this stuff that's going on outside of them, it's just not possible. You know, it, it would be great if it worked, but it doesn't because you can't control other people. Yeah. It's not you a video don't, game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can try all you want. Good luck with that. Um, you can't really control the world. Things just occur. I mean, look around every day, stuff happens to people, both good and bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you, you don't control everything that's going on out, outside and you can't control even everything inside either, but you can, you can focus on certain things that you can control that you can influence um, and choices that you can make and those sorts of things. And those things can make a difference, Hmm. but the idea is control what it's possible to control and don't waste a bunch of effort trying to control things you can't control. That makes sense. It's got a very stoic philosophy kind of feel to it. Well, it's just reality, right? Well, I mean, yeah, it, it is you're, really. You're yeah. a mouse in a wheel. Otherwise, you know, you, the mouse runs and runs and runs and runs, uses up all its energy, falls exhausted off the wheel, and guess what? It's right where it started. Yeah, <laughs> it got nowhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you know, you can you can do that yourself too, uh, psychologically, physically. I mean, you you can run yourself ragged trying to. I'm going to control this, and I'm going to control that person, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going. And it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. You can influence other people. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing to try to do. I mean, we do that every day. That's, that's called civilization. Right? <laughs> <laughs> saying please, saying thank you. Those are all about, you know, trying to influence people. 
but we don't really control them. And you're, and over a lot, you know, you might be able to control something externally for a short time, some stuff you can control, but there's too many variables that can intervene that you don't, that you don't even know are going to come and that you can't control. So if you're not spending at least some of your effort learning to control yourself and learning to cope and, and creating some resilience and grit within yourself so that when those things do happen, and they will, um, that you aren't just completely bowled over by them, uh, you're, then you will be bowled over by them. I mean, that, that's generally what's, what's going to happen. And, and that's sort of this, uh, the other thing that, that happens with that is this idea of locus of control. Um, locus of control is sort of how do you view things in terms of why things happen? So do you tend to think that you are the captain of your fate and the master of your destiny? Or do you tend to think that things are caused by fate or other people or whatever, some external force? And if you tend to think that you tend to have an external locus of control, which is that things are sort of controlled outside of you and you, what you do doesn't really matter very much, um, then you're kind of always looking for these external things to change and not really doing much for yourself. But there's a huge problem with that. Those things don't really care what you're doing, right? And they're, yeah. they're going to go on however they go on. And if you are not sort of stopping and saying, well, what's my piece or what could I do, even in a, even in a negative situation where it might be there's somebody else you know, involved in it um, that is really causing a problem, it doesn't mean there's nothing you can do. And what we know from research on locus of control is that people who have a more internal locus of control tend to just be more successful, even though it isn't always true that you are the captain of your fate and master of your destiny. Sometimes there isn't a lot you can do. But when the focus is on what I can do, even if it's a little thing, people will tend to do that then. If you're constantly looking outside, then you're just sort of waiting for things to happen. And people with external locus of control also tend to just be really angry a lot because things aren't happening the way they want them to happen. And there's a blame of external circumstances that I, I blame that person or I blame that situation or whatever for my, for my current life or my current situation. And then I'm just sort of waiting for something else to have to fix it. That's probably not going to happen. Hmm. So it's, it, it, it's kind of at its very source, you look at it like an internal locus of control person tends to feel that I act on the world and the world reacts to me. Right. In whatever way that happens. An external locus of control person tends to think that the world acts on me, so I react to the world. So something will happen and they'll get really angry or really depressed or, or start screaming at people or doing something like that. And then they're then they wonder why like they get in trouble. Well I was but I just did that because this happened or because that happened, or because that person started it. Not recognizing that, well, it doesn't matter if somebody else did something, that doesn't give you then the right to, you know, beat somebody up or scream and yell or do something like that. And they kind of, because they're external, they don't often see the effect of their own choices and their own actions. Okay. So it's a constant frustration. 
too. Like, it's just like, I'm constantly frustrated because I don't get what I want and my life is going the way I want it. And it's your fault, you know, or it's the world's fault or something like that. So it's um, that point of view tends to um, cause a lot of problems for, for both the people who hold it and often for the people around them because they tend to get blamed. Is this like part of that cognitive bias? Like there's, it sounds like there's a lot of those mixed in there. Like the shoulds, <laughs> like things should be this way. And yes, kind of people idea. should do this for me. Yeah. Right? Or the mind and reading, I, right? I, it shouldn't should happen. My mind. Yeah. Yeah. I, I shouldn't have to do this or this shouldn't happen like that. Um, certainly there are a lot of shoulds in that. Um, there's a lot of projection onto other people and things as to why it happens. Right. Well, yeah, but I was late because blah, 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 but you've been late every single day. Well, but I, you know, my boss is terrible. My, I didn't get fired because I'm late every day for the last three weeks. I got fired because my boss is, you know, an ass or whatever. And that's oh. a, that's like a total external locus of control kind of thing. And that, and yeah. the problem with that is then you never stop, stop being late. You never change, right? Like, no, because yeah. you don't, why would I, why, why, would, why would I change if I don't see that part of the issue is me? Huh? Yeah. I, when when we were talking about talking about this uh, a few weeks ago, uh, I went and took the test. That, that, oh, did you? Yeah, and mm-hmm. I was very very internal, like locus of control on that side, and I wasn't very surprised when I kind of read about it. But I, they they said there were some like cons to it too. Mm-hmm. Like be, there are totally like. I was almost too extreme to the point where it would be frustrating when I thought I had all this control of things going on and when something didn't work or when I wasn't trying making the world bend to my way, then it would cause some of that anxiety and depression kind of situations and a bunch of light bulbs went off in my head. (laughs) Yeah, you don't want to be, I mean, it's a continuum. It's not a dichotomous thing. It's a a continuum. If you don't want to be so far on, on either continuum that it's just causing you problems because if you're so far on the internal side, then you tend to take responsibility for things that aren't your responsibility. Uh, so, you know, oh, it's my fault that this happens, but it's like, no, you know what? Sometimes life just sucks. And sometimes life just happens. And there was nothing you could have done about it. You don't control everything. So, you know, it's like things like survivor's guilt as a more extreme example can happen. I should have been able to save my buddy kind of thing. Why should you have been able to do that? You were also wounded. You, you know, uh, couldn't move you whatever and so that you can be too internal which is also it's a, it's a misapprehension of reality in the same way that being too external is it's the idea is to figure out again sort of what do you control you you are responsible for what you control right if you have that question what am i responsible for in life you're responsible for what you, you can control if you can't control it you're not responsible for it and there's a lot of things we don't really control that are external to us. And so that's the other piece is like, well, you know, I'm not superhuman. I'm not Superman. I can't do things beyond my physical capabilities, my cognitive capabilities and accepting that, you know, it's, that's a hard thing to accept. Sometimes it's like, we are limited. That's the yeah. nature of human beings. We are not, we can't do all things. We can't be all things. Um, and sometimes things just happen and it's not your fault. You, you didn't make it happen. You did your best. You know, you can do your best and it still goes wrong. You can make <laughs> a right decision and it still doesn't work. Right. You know, yeah. sometimes people say, oh, I made a mistake. You didn't make a mistake. It just didn't work. Yeah. 
sometimes things you do, you do what you know to do with the information that you have, right? So you, you, you do your due diligence, you evaluate, you make a decision and, and it's from what you know, it is the right decision, but then it unfolds in some way where there was information you didn't have and you couldn't have had, or it just doesn't work for whatever reason. Sometimes stuff just fails. It just doesn't work. And it's nobody's fault. And it's not that you did anything wrong. It just didn't work. I'm, I'm like, I'm holding back my laughter because I fall into this trap a lot because, um, you know, you have like multiple choices, right? And you make one. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work, I've, I have this pattern, this history of going back and going, oh, if I would have went that way, things would have been different, right? I think a lot of people do that. And right. what, what I've had to, I don't know how to describe it. You know, you have this like groove in your brain, that, that pattern. And I'm trying to create a new one where I go, at that moment, that was the best, like you were saying, that was the best decision I could have made there. Now at this decision, knowing that one didn't work, now this is the new best decision I could make. And it always yeah. seems to come back to the present moment, which <laughs> which is, it just, that's why I start to laugh. It's like, oh, it seems to always be the answer is, what are you doing right now in this moment to make the decisions based on the best information you have and where you are in life kind of, kind of a thing, which. Well, the what ifing thing, which I always find really interesting is you're right. Lots of people do it, but we have it talk about a cognitive bias because we have a, we have a cognitive bias towards if only I had whatever fill in the blank, taken that job or gone to that school or married that person or done whatever, whatever it is we didn't do things would be so much better, really? And you know that how. Right, exactly, yeah. What if, what if you had, you know, taken that job and and the building blew up with a gas leak or something and you died? <laughs> or, you know, you, you went to this other school and it, there was a school shooter. I mean, you know, there, there's a lot, now those are extreme examples, but you have no idea what would have happened had you gone some other way. It's yeah. just interesting that we have this tendency to go towards um, it would have been great. You know, it could have been horrible. Yeah. Is that helpful yeah. for people? I, I was just talking to somebody about this, like going to the other extreme of what dilute. I hate to call it a delusion because it sounds like it sounds bad, but like a, a made up thought, you know, or some perspective. Fantasy. A yeah, fantasy. Just, yeah. Yeah. So if you have this positive fantasy, is it helpful or even positive or a good thing to have the opposite side of it or is it just better to go none of those <laughs> i think it's just better not to do it at all because yeah. the fact i think it's better just to say i have no idea and it doesn't matter anyway because that's not what i did right yeah that, that's so, what i so, thought but I so just what is the know. point uh, again let me not be a mouse in a wheel yeah <laughs> get me right? out of this that, fantasy that's, that's very mouse in a wheel you know exhaustive thinking because the fact is you didn't do it and you will, and you can think and think and think and, you know, lament and lament as much as you want, and you will never know what would have happened. Right. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what wouldn't have happened. And really, it never matters what you aren't doing. Yeah. I mean, at, at this, we're not skydiving right now. Who cares? <laughs> I mean, it, you know, we're not like picking up trash. It doesn't matter what we're not doing. There's a, there's literally like a billion things we are not doing, so it matters what you are doing. Yeah. And if you make a choice and it doesn't work, okay. 
again, it doesn't necessarily mean it was a wrong choice. You may be able to go back and realize it was a wrong choice if you were impulsive or you didn't, you didn't get information or whatever. You learn from, okay, well, next time I need to not be so impulsive. I really need to stop and get information. But that problem solving shouldn't be about value judgment. It should be about learning, <laughs> you know, like, gotcha. let me, let me learn a, a better way of problem solving, but lots of things don't work. I, I always try to keep in my mind when I am, you know, getting frustrated with trying things that aren't working is that Edison tried something like a, over a thousand prototypes of a light bulb. And, and he was by then, even, you know, when he was trying to create a light bulb, he was already very well known. So the press were hammering him and they were making fun of him. And if people were, you know, lambasting him and just doing all this stuff and well, you know, how's it feel to fail so many times and all this stuff. And he just basically said, well, now I know what doesn't work. Yeah, right. What if he'd stopped because, oh, boo hoo, I'm so terrible. And you know, whatever, you don't, it, why are you personalizing it in the first place? Yeah. that you know when something doesn't work it isn't actually personal it just didn't work yeah it you know stuff doesn't work or works all the time and and if everybody who failed uh at stuff that they were trying quit and personalized that we we would not have airplanes and light bulbs and cars and space travel and all the things we have that took tons and tons and tons of effort and time and failure to finally get something that was successful. Yeah. I had to change that as a pole vaulter. I, I never, I stopped calling it failure as long as I learned something. If I, if I felt like I failed, but then I didn't write in my journal or learn something from the experience, then I counted it as failure because there was no growth in any direction there. And I don't know if that's healthy either, but it felt better yeah. than just beating myself up for not making a bar or something like that. And then that, I took that into every other aspect of my life now. And it's I think still what's hard. healthy is what works for you, right? Yeah. I mean, if, that, if, it, if that's what works for you. But I, I would say one of the things that I think has been a problem in modern culture is that failure has, is a, such a dirty word. It's yeah. not. No. It's like, you know, to take, to use, I, I, I actually use the word failure because I want to take the power out of it. Oh, I love that. You know, it, failure is not bad. Failure is not terrible. Failure does not mean anything about you. It's not personal. It's not you're a horrible person. To fail does not make you a failure. Those are two very different things. People fail all day long. We do all kinds of stuff that we don't do very well or what. so what? The only reason it ever has meaning is if you give it meaning. If you don't give failure any meaning, it has none. And that's what I'm saying about, you know, People do clearly fail and things do fail and calling it a failure is, is just calling it what it is. Yeah. Like, you know, like Edison did fail. He failed like a thousand times. Okay. In his, in his efforts, he himself was not a failure. He was highly successful. Um, the Wright brothers failed, you know, lots of people failed to in doing a thing. Yeah. Oh, well, that effort failed, that thing itself failed. So the, the light bulb failed, it just didn't work. Um, but we don't look at, you know, when a thing fails, we don't look at it and go, you're terrible. And you're, you know, when something goes out on your car, you're not like screaming at it, calling it names and telling it it's a failure. Yeah. You go get it fixed. Hmm. You don't judge it. And we don't need to judge it either. But one of the things I think that we do want to move away from is the idea that to fail at something or to not be good at something is 
terrible and, you know, it's going to ruin your self-esteem. It only ruins your self-esteem if you take it personally and you don't realize that you're a human being and that failure is just part of being a human being. Because that, I think, you know, if you do that, then you suppress people trying things because right. you never know if you're going to fail or not, especially if you haven't done it before. How'd you do the first time you tried to pull vault? Oh, it was awful, but it was fun. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there have been lots of things I've tried and been bad at you now, especially <laughs> right. in the beginning. Um, you fail over and over and you keep practicing and you fail less. Yeah. And so you does, get better. Does that move you more into the ex, external locus of control if you're focusing on just the failure all of the time because external forces are, are coming at you at that point? You're looking at the, the failure as something that happened to you versus something you can potentially control. Does does that piece work there? Yeah, it can. I mean, ex, the, the locus of control thing can work everywhere because it really is a, a fundamental viewpoint it is a perspective that people have in the world okay um it depends you know it, it it's kind of foundationally in what we call attribution theory and attribution theory has a lot of components but at its basis it has to do with to what do you attribute outcomes in essence so you know what a, a good example somebody cuts you off in traffic what's your thought about the other person well, usually you're mad at that person. Most people would be. You're, yeah. you're mad, but what are you thinking? What am I personally am I thinking? Yeah, what would you think? Uh, I don't know if I if I would think they're bad anymore. I I don't I, I don't I, I want to help you with your. <laughs> no, no, just what would you think? Most people kind of go, "What an ass! That guy's a terrible driver. He's you know whatever, right? We we yeah. we make attribution. Yeah about that person, about the person re relative to that incident. Yeah. And we tend to, with other people, we tend to attribute the negative things they do to internal permanent attributions, which means it's something about them and it's something forever. Mm. And that we do the opposite with ourselves. If you cut somebody off, do you think to yourself, oh my God, I'm a terrible driver and I should never be driving and I'm an, I'm an idiot. No, you probably go, oh my gosh, that was an accident. I, oh, I just didn't see him. Yeah. When we, huh. when we make mistakes, we tend to make attributions that are external and impermanent. So they're temporary, right? Like, oh, I just, I didn't see him or he was in my yeah. blind spot or something like that. And, you know, it's, it's interesting how the same behavior, yeah. we make these different attributions, but locus of control is basically an attribution. We, to what do we attribute the event? Okay. Somebody who attributes their failure to other people, other things like um, a student, let's say, who is a smart person, but they just keep not doing well in school. And it's a constant, well, I failed the test because the teacher didn't grade me fairly. Oh, I failed that other test because, you know, I, I was really tired. Well, I failed that other test because the teacher's a horrible person and, you know, they should have given us a test that day. But there's always an external reason why they failed the test. Okay. An internal person would be like, I failed the test because I didn't study. Or I failed the test. Yeah, I was tired, but I'm tired because I stayed up too late and I should have gone to bed. Hmm. Now, it could be that the teacher didn't grade you fairly. And that's, that's okay. Then you could look at that. But, there's, but the, it's the thread. It's the pattern that you look at. Okay. Is, is there a pattern of constantly blaming things that are external to, to the person 
versus, you know, I know when I blew it. So there it is. Okay. So it's not necessarily the situation. The situation is just kind of like a, a key to a potential pattern. So you get enough of those situations, you can figure out a pattern that you might have internally that you could, you could try and change if you wanted to. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Because it's very consistent. I mean, it's a really consistent thing. And if you think of yourself or you think of people, you know, if you, once you kind of know the concept, you can start to go, oh yeah, that and, person's internal, that person's actual. because it's a pretty consistent perspective that people take across multiple aspects of their lives. Externally uh, motivated people, external looks and control people rarely will say, yeah, that was totally my fault. Hmm. There was nothing outside of me that caught, I, I just didn't do that right. Or I just blew it or I made a mistake or whatever. They just rarely will do that. Um, people that are more in that, you know, towards the internal side, again, there can be external factors. And that's why you don't want to be too internal because that's just as unrealistic. Right. You don't control the universe. But internal um, is more helpful in our society. It's more part? helpful in general in because general? It, okay. be, because you're more likely to act if you think that there is an action you can take. And there's okay. another concept that goes along with it that can be really helpful, and that's self-efficacy. And self-efficacy is a very, at its core, is just basically, I believe I can. Okay. You know, there's an old expression, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. Yeah. Right. Heard that one. And if you if you combine, you know, if you have very low self-efficacy and you just don't think that you can do things, you're not competent. You know, I'm just not competent in a general sense to do things. Then you won't try. And that can be a really bad combination with an internal locus of control because you feel really guilty and responsible, but you don't think you can do anything. Um, if you combine a pretty high self-efficacy with a with a, you know, not too high, but an internal locus of control, that produces a lot of success in life because you think about what you control and you also think you can do it. Hmm. Wow. So if you have those two thoughts, you're more likely to go do it or at least try. Hmm. You might not succeed, but you'll, but you'll make the effort. And you know, you have a hundred percent chance that you won't succeed if you don't try. <laughs> right. right? Yeah. <clears throat> you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Right. Isn't exactly. Yeah. And all, you know, if you think about it, all we're ever really doing in life is working off of probabilities. Uh, nothing really has a hundred percent success rate all the time. I mean, there isn't anything that you can necessarily say predictively every single time I do this, it will a hundred percent of the time it's going to work. I mean, maybe there's a few things, but not many that I could think of. Um, so all we can really do with our efforts is try to increase our probabilities. So, you know, you look at if, if doing nothing means I have a 10% probability of something good going on, then what, how would that increase if I did these two actions that are related to it? Would, would it does it increase my probability maybe to 50% or 60%? And if I did this other thing, now maybe it goes to 70%. So if I go back to the test thing, you know, if my probability of passing my test Maybe it's, you know, 20% or something if I do nothing, like I don't study, but I was in class and, you know, but, but I didn't do anything to actually study for the test. I might pass, I might do well enough guessing, or I might've, you know, retained enough knowledge, but I could definitely improve my probability of success if I study. And if I study one night, then maybe I improve it by 10%. If I, if I study for two or three days ahead of time, now maybe I've put it up to 50%, 60%. 
Um, if I get a good night's sleep the night before the test, the test is in the morning, maybe now I've increased it by another 10%. So all we're ever doing is increasing probabilities of success. Hmm. But some is better than none, right? So yeah. some increase is better than no increase. Some success is better than no success. And I think that's the other piece that really hangs people up is this idea that either I have to do it 100% or I didn't do anything. Really? Because almost nothing is 100%. Right. I, that I failed somehow if I didn't do every single thing. It's like, you, no. That's a, <laughs> Maybe that's that piece. That's essentially perfectionism, right? The, the perfectionism yeah, so perfectionism piece. is extremely damaging. Extra, is, it's, it, it's very um, highly correlated with anxiety and depression. And is that probably extremely far on the in, internal control, right? The, the On the extreme part, does anxiety come from, if you feel like you have so much control over things, it per, you might produce perfectionism, perfectionistic tendencies? Well, it's, you know, it's, it, yes, it could, I think, but it's, okay. it's more, it's more thinking that you have to rather than that you could. Yeah. Okay. I have to be perfect or it means something again. It, perfectionism is a, is a lot about meaning making. It means something. If I'm not perfect, I'm less than I'm not worthy. I'm whatever it is. Um, one of the things that I tell my perfectionistic clients and my students, sometimes I always say, you know, put this on a post-it note and stick it on your bathroom mirror um, there's two things about perfectionism that make it just a, a, a honestly a, a ridiculous goal. One is that perfection is not attainable. So perfection is neither attainable nor necessary. You can't be perfect and you never need to be. There is nothing in life that requires perfection. And I kind of use the example of it, you know, trying to be perfect is sort of like trying to say, I want to be green. <laughs> I really want to be green. No I'm going to work super hard to be green. I am going to be green because it's really important to be green. If I was green, everything would be fantastic. And I would, you know, my life would be great. If I was green, I'm going to work really hard to be green. If I said that to somebody, they would just think I was like ridiculous, right? Like why, what do you mean? Hmm. You can't be green. First of all, maybe if I eat like a ton of asparagus or something, but you, you know, you can't be green and it's not necessary to be green. There's nothing in life that requires you to be green. Same thing with per perfectionism. You cannot be perfect. So just off of that, it's not a good goal. And secondly, nothing requires it. Hmm. You don't need to do it. So, and, and again, if, you know, if you look at a cost benefit analysis of effort, so let's say that, you know, you spend all this time studying and doing all this stuff <clears throat> and you get a 97 on your test. And now you're all upset because you didn't get a hundred. Well, first of all, there are 96 grades below that, that you didn't get. <laughs> right. So the 97 is pretty good and only three above it. And let's say that it was going to take you another 20 hours of studying to get from 97 to hundred. Would that be worth it? Right. Yeah. There's a cost of diminishing returns at some point. Yes. Right. Yeah. And you still got the A and you still learned. And that's the point anyway. It's not to get the grade. It's to learn the material. But there's, I mean, you, it, it's a, again, sort of a perspective on things that drives people to anxiety. And partly because you are always failing. You are always failing. You are not going to be perfect. Hmm. And well, yeah, maybe you get the hundred on that test, but there's going to be one you don't. Yeah. Oof. And there's always something else coming. So it's like, great, well, I got a hundred on that, but now I have another one. So now there's, you know, there's this anxiety to reach that goal, reach that goal, reach that goal. 
and, and expending tons of effort to try to get there when that cost isn't worth it, the cost benefit ratio is not there. There is a diminishing return, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and then feeling really depressed when it doesn't happen, which is inevitable. Right. <laughs> yeah. huh. So it's a, it's a really, it's, that's a mouse and a giant whale who's just running all the time. Yeah. I've, I, I've been fighting depression or not to, well, depression too, but <laughs> perfectionism ever since I, I've learned about it for the first time, but I've never heard it explained almost like another fantasy or a, a delusion. And it's like, wow that makes that makes more like it took three years from the idea of this podcast to finally launch it because it had to be perfect and i had to know all the steps and i had to know everything before i actually did it and then one day i was just like i don't know what hit me maybe it was reading Brene brown or something i don't know but it was just like you have to just start and bounce into the 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 maze walls a few times to figure out how to get through it and that's kind of where we are and it's and it hasn't been perfect like we've had some scheduling issues on my side too but now i've learned from it and became better from that and i think that's was like a hard thing for me to learn because i grew up like do your best everything has to be perfect give 110 even though that doesn't even exist you know and i don't know if that's one part partial not again it probably doesn't matter and i keep trying to figure out where it comes from but society or my parents and where that pattern is so i don't pass it on to other people or if my wife and I decide to have kids pass it on to my kids or something like that you know but yeah I'm gonna start looking at it like that I think like as a a fantasy in a way because it's unattainable like you said it's powerful well yeah and and the non-necessity of it I think too is is also powerful it's like yeah there is nothing in life I can be very successful and do really well and never be perfect yeah and I'll be a lot happier Right. Because I'm not spending so much energy trying to do it. I mean, I, when I was younger, I was very perfectionistic too. And I mean, it just, it drove me crazy and I was exhausted. It's, it's exhausting. It is. Um, and for what, again, what is the, what is the difference between a 97 and a hundred? <laughs> Three right. points, but it, yeah. but in the, out in the actual world, it, that's a meaningless difference. It's a, it's, you know, as they say, it's a difference without a distinction. Mm. It just doesn't really mean anything to, you know, even if you could hit that hundred every single time. Okay. And my, my dad was just talking about this with sports in a way he was like, I wouldn't feel better if I, he was, he was talking about winning games and things. He was a pretty good hockey and baseball player, but he was like, if I, I wouldn't feel better if I won the game, I just didn't want to lose. Like that was, so we got relief instead of joy from winning games. And I was like, Oh, I can feel that. I've I've had that a lot in my life too, and it that's got to be from perfectionism in a way, right? Like, oh, thank well, God. Nobody, I, I don't. Nobody likes to lose. I mean, you know, losing is never fun. No, but, no, but getting not getting joy from it seems like yeah. it's defeating the purpose in a way. And I know there's probably some stuff going on there. <laughs> kind of, kind of too much hyper competitive, right? But yeah. um, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to do well or to be the best at something. So, you know, we have an Olympics coming up here in a, in a month or so, and there's a lot of people, you know, they want to be great at what they do. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be great, but perfection is this, you know, it's, it's a level that you, first of all, you just can't hit, but it's, it's also very static. Right. Greatness comes and goes and what's great now will not be what's great later. So when somebody breaks your record, <laughs> 
are you going to be so devastated and, you know, your life me- is meaningless now because somebody broke your record, hmm. which again is almost inevitable. Almost every single record that gets set gets broken at some point mm-hmm. in sports, right? So <clears throat> you can drive yourself crazy. You, you, in order to win, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be the best. Hmm. Those are not the same thing. Yeah, I have a, I have a friend, a, a lot of pole vault friends, but the one just uh, he broke the world record three times a couple wow. of years ago, and then he uh, he won a gold medal at the last Olympics in the in the men's pole vault. And he goes, the medals are so much more important to me than the records because the records will probably be broken, but no one can take the gold medal away from me at, at exactly. the Olympics. And yeah. yeah, and that's a focus thing, right? I mean, it, it this this comes back. to um, perspective in essence mm-hmm. and focus and what you, what you see depends on where you look. Right. And what's important to you is what you determine to be important. And it, and it only has importance because you think it's important. <laughs> yeah. feels a lot like our money situation with all this cryptocurrency going on and stuff too. Right? Oh God, don't even, yeah. <laughs> Just provide our own value. To I do, us. <laughs> and the NFTs and stuff. And I'm like, these, you do realize this is, there's no actual value to these things, except what people say is valuable. Right. Like and baseball cards too, things. right? Yeah. It's all, everything it's all that, everything that yeah. people collect is only collectible because people collect it. Yeah. When the beanie baby crash happened. Yep. Cabbage Patch Kids, <laughs> Beanie Babies. Um, I mean, you know, things go in and out of value based on, based on those kinds of things. But in our own lives, it's the same thing. It's, it's again, it's meaning making. And what you think is important is what is important to you. And if you decide it's not, then it's not for better or worse. Hmm. Um, and so for your friend, he made the meaning out of out of the the medals that, Hey, you know what? I did this. I achieved this. He wasn't perfect. Right. right? Cause who, who, how would you even determine what perfect is in, in something like pole vault? You, you can't like, we, we talk about this no. a lot because the numbers, I call it chasing infinities, right? Like if there's a number or, a, or some kind of value that never ends, you can never be perfect because it never ends. Right. No. And you can't determine what perfection was. You can only determine what better is, right? Like right. what the best is, what better is. Yep. Uh, but what was best is no longer best. And that's, that's the other piece. These things are very malleable and they are, they are interpretive. Like you're, you know, we're interpreting something and saying, well, that's the best now, but it won't be later. Right. Um, and that's again, why, chasing after something like perfection, which is a static point. Um, so unfruitful and destructive because it's just such an amazing amount of energy going towards something that doesn't actually exist. And even if you could reach it, it won't stay. That static point will become another static point down the road with another record or something else. Um, but you know, your friend decided to focus on what was meaningful to him. Right. And he's absolutely right. I mean, he has that medal. He won that medal. No one can ever take that away from him. That will always exist. Um, And that is probably a better thing to make meaning out of because of those elements. It's something that you can hang on to. The records will probably fall at some point. Right. Can, can we loop back just a little bit? Is there a positive to external locus of control at all? Or is the goal to always try and shift towards (laughs) the internal locus of control? Um, there's not a positive to being on the extreme, I think, of external locus of control, because what that breeds is a tremendous amount of passivity and resentment. Okay. Because, and partly for the same reason that 
if you're on the extreme of the internal locus of control, it's not reality. Okay. Everything in the world is not somebody else's fault. So or want, fate or do you want whatever. to be at 50, 50, 50 on those? Or do you want to, is there a percentage? No, the, re, the research kind of indicates spot? that more on the internal side, even if it's not always realistic, that we know that people who are optimistic, even though optimism is not always a realistic point of view, are happier and okay. more successful. And again, because it drives action, right? Gotcha. If I, yep. if I, especially if you have that combination of self-efficacy and locus of control, internal locus of control, I'm more likely to act. And if I act, I'm more likely to be successful because again, we're looking at probabilities here. I have a hundred percent. You're doing more experiments. I have a hundred percent chance of yeah. failure. Yeah. Well, I have a hundred percent chance of failure if I sit and do nothing. Right. And if you're very external, that's probably what you're doing. You're not doing much because you're waiting for stuff to happen to you. You're waiting for other people to do things for you or to make things happen for you, or you're waiting for fate to occur or something like that. And so a lot of your efforts, whatever you may be doing is, is often going in a direction that is not materially helping your situation. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so, what so can... instead, you know, you don't have a job and you need money. And instead of going out and figuring out, you know, how can I go get a job? You go buy a lottery ticket. Nothing wrong with buying a lottery ticket, but... No, but if you didn't buy one, <laughs> you'd have 100%. Well, no, I'm just joking. It's just probably not going to help <laughs> yeah. you, right? It's, no, I mean, the right. chances are you are not going to yeah. win the lottery um, and you spent that money and you still don't have a job. Right. So, or you're just waiting for somebody to, you know, call you. But every time you go on an interview, you, you're, you're not saying like what you're going to do for the company. What You just want to know what they're going to do for you. I feel like Disney does this with uh, knight in shining armor, like a prince coming to rescue you. Everyone. <laughs> well, that's a whole gender issue there. That's the whole other. Yes, okay. women. Women were taught for a very long time to be quite passive. Oh, that, I didn't even wrap my head around that. So yeah, are, that was do, a gender issue. Do females fall more on the external locus of control than the internal? No. No, not necessarily. And I mean, no, because the flip side of that was. You were supposed to be passive, but you were also really responsible for everything that happened in your family. Gotcha. So okay. if sense. your children, right? If, I mean, the mother is always blamed. And psychology did a lot of that, right? If, you're, yeah. if your child misbehaved, nobody called the dad. Right. <laughs> right? Nobody, yeah. nobody said, wow, your father must not. It was all your mother isn't you know, teaching you right or something like that. There, it was always a blaming the mother. And if your husband cheated on you, it was because you we're not doing enough to keep your man. Yeah. The, your womanly duties or whatever. Okay. Yes. That what makes they sense. call the cult of true womanhood. Oh, there's a name for it. I didn't there know is the cult of true womanhood. The cult of true womanhood. Look it up. Yeah. I, I'm going to. So, it had to do with what was considered the women's sphere versus the men's sphere in the world. That was, no, it's just, well, not, <laughs> what was the, what was the men's sphere in the women's sphere? Then? Anything that wasn't the home. Oh, okay. Politics, but, work, so they, anything that wasn't home. Compartmentalized it kind of like the women are everything at home and guys are everything else. Kind of going, wow. I feel like that'd be a yep. whole different podcast to go down that rabbit hole potentially. Oh, it's, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure I could do it without throwing up. Was, <laughs> that, that, that aspect of history is, it's pretty bad. Yeah. So it's what pretty can, bad. What can people do to get more towards the internal side or should they take that test first like you recommended me to see where they fall first and foremost yeah i think that i mean there's several there are you know you can take the test free online there's there are several of them i would i i 
I can't recommend a specific one necessarily, but I would try to find one that has more questions because sort of the longer it is, the, the better you're likely to, to get better information. But yeah, I think it's not a bad idea to sort of see where you lie. I think most people, if you kind of, most internal people kind of know they're internal. A lot of external don't know they're external. Yeah. Um, but the idea is, I think, to try to increase both internal locus of control and self-efficacy at the, at the same time. Um, because both of them will really help you not again, not to be so on the internal side that you're taking responsibility for things that are not yours, um, or thinking that you can do stuff that you can't do because again, we're not, you know, we don't control everything, but it's, it's another mindfulness kind of thing, right? It's like when something happens to stop and, and look at what you think about that to what do you attribute it? Do you attribute it always or most of the time to things outside of yourself? Or do you attribute it all, you know, most of the time to things inside of yourself? Or are you able to maybe see a little bit of both? Like, yeah, I, I did this. This was not good. This, this piece is on me. Maybe there were some pieces that aren't on you. you know, maybe some stuff just happened in the world that wasn't, wasn't good and it impacted you and it was really hard. And you, know, you did the best you could. But if you want to improve and you want to learn and you want to cope better, the only way to do that is to learn when you do make a mistake, right? Like when something doesn't work, like you did, maybe you engaged in some kind of coping thing and it didn't work. And this is particularly true of negative coping behaviors. Like, you know, every time something goes wrong, you drink, right? Right. Or you take drugs or you beat your dog up or you, do, you know, you do something that is having a negative impact on you and on your relationships, on the world, on your job. Like if things are not going well in a general sense in your life uh, to stop and think about what, what are my pieces, not judge them. This isn't a, Oh, I'm making mistakes and I'm a terrible person. You lop off the second half of that sentence. You, you have to take responsibility. You don't have to take judgment Hmm. and responsibility taking is really just saying I'm an actor in my own life. I, I did this. You don't have to take the rest of it. And that's important because if you do all the judging, you're not, you're not as likely to take responsibility because it, it's too painful. If Shame, you take all that, yeah. you know, if you do a lot of judging and shooting on yourself and, and shaming yourself about things, that's part of the reason people avoid, right? It's like, it's not so much that they're avoiding responsibility. They're avoiding the pain of, of all the judgment. You can stop the judgment piece and just focus on the, yeah, you know what? I did this. This didn't work. Okay. This did not serve me. This caused a problem in my relationship. This caused a problem in my work. This caused me to feel bad about myself, whatever it is. What could I do differently? And that might be, if you don't know, if you keep asking that question and you don't know, then that might be the time to like go to therapy. So you could get some answers to those questions about what to do. If you know what to do, then try doing what you know what to do. Okay. And looking at things like their experiments it's an experiment to figure out if i do this what happens if i show up on time to work every day you know am i in trouble probably not your boss is probably a lot happier and if you can't figure out how to show up to work every day then that's the problem to solve it's like okay what do i need to do to stop being late and i had i actually had a client like this who had been a a long-term you know, a high level professional who did get fired um, because she was late all the time. I mean, really late. And 
there was a lot of like, well, but they have to, no, they don't have to understand. You have to understand that if you keep doing this, this is a consequence of your behavior. They're not being horrible to you. You're doing this. And in our culture, like it or not, being on time is important. Right. And she had no sense of time. And so there was, there were problems there with sort of like, how do I even do this? And so we worked on it and she started showing up on time and she got her job back. Awesome. Yeah. Um, it just wasn't, you know, she was not a time person. It wasn't super important to her, but part of, you know, part of adulting in, in essence is learning also what's important to other people. Okay. Yeah. Just because it's not important to you doesn't mean it isn't important in the world or it isn't important to other people. And if you want something, sometimes you also have to do what's important to other people. So it, being on time may not be that important to you, but if it's important in your work and you like your work and you like making a living and paying your bills, then you don't, you still don't have to think it's important, but you need to do the behavior. Does that makes sense. Yeah. It makes, makes a lot of sense. So it's being mindful. It's, it's working little by little to examine what you do in the world and, and, looking at the consequence of what you do and not always that, Oh, it's, you know, they're doing this to me and I didn't do anything to start it. Like back up a step, <laughs> you know, well, he right. just, he's mad. I'm late. Okay. But let's look at the lateness. Hmm. Yeah. I, I was going to like, you answered my question. Cause it's like, well, what, what do people do when they don't know the answer? And it's like, it was like very blaring, go to, th go find a therapist. <laughs> right. Yeah go find a therapist, find a, find, or, you know, I mean, another thing, if you really don't want to go to therapy, although obviously I'm a big fan of it. Um, <laughs> and I think it's very effective, but another thing that you can do is if you have a friend or a relative or somebody that you feel is very successful in life, like they do really well, their relationships are good. They do well at work. They're happy. Go talk to them and find out why. You know, what, it, what do they do? So I can almost guarantee you that they have an internal locus of control, that they have a sense of self-efficacy and they, they're proactive. They go out and they do stuff and learn from them. That's such a cool, that's such a cool idea for people who are scared of therapy, right? Or just, it's easier to talk to somebody who, and, I, and I've been going to therapy for so long. I, I don't know what the fear is anymore. Like, if it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> if as a kid. I understand it. I, I think it's, up with it. it's scary though. I mean, it's really, you know, well, part of the fear is that people have a lot of misconceptions of what therapy is because therapy is done in secret mm -hmm. and the portrayals of therapy that are done often in TV and movies and stuff like that are just so wildly inaccurate. Yeah. Like one that, over the cuckoo's nest or something like that. Well, I mean, even just in other shows where they're like revealing confidential information to their friends or what, you know, you just, you don't do that or they're yeah. manipulating clients or, you know, half the time the therapist is the serial killer. They're either evil or they're the dumbest person in the room. Right. Yeah. They're just stupid. They don't, they don't know anything. They're so they're like a parody. Yeah. Right. So um, I think people don't really have a clear idea of what it is to go to therapy. And, and the idea they do have is negative sometimes because of what they've seen portrayed in the media. Um, and they I think they also think that somehow, you know, if you go to a therapist, they're going to tell you you're crazy or they're going to tell you you're beyond help or they're going to pop the top of your head, off, you know, start manipulating you or something. 
and not kind of understanding that, look, when you, if your therapist is a good therapist, they're working on what you want to work on. I, I don't have an agenda. My agenda is to work on what my clients want to work on. I'm not in the background going, ooh, 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 let me do this, you know, uh, kind of thing. I, I don't have some hidden thing going on. I, I want to know what their goals are. And we talk about those goals and then we work towards those goals. I'm not I, steering oh, I'm in some other direction. Because I, I got that question, like, what is the ideal form of, of, mental health like what's the goal what are what is everyone trying to get to what are what are therapists helping you to achieve and do you is there do you have an answer for that is is it to give somebody the and i know everybody's different but is is the answer somewhere along the lines of i'm going to help you get to where you want to be where you can live in a life that feels happy i hate to say happy but content and you know do the things that you want to do or happy is an okay word yeah, it just depends on I, how you define it, right? Yeah, there just seems um, to be a lot of uh, chasing happiness and doesn't seem to work. It's like it becomes more elusive if if you chase it, you know. Well, I think it's I think it's how you def- I think happy is defined differently by right, different okay. people. So so like if somebody came into me and said I want to be happy, I would say, what would you be doing if you were happy that you're not doing now? Okay. And then those would become the goals, basically. Well, I'd be socializing more. I'd be in a okay. Let's start. How would you socialize more? What could you do this week? Gotcha. I'd have a different job. Okay. How do you get out of the job you're in? And what do you need to do to get the job you want? Right. Yeah. Um, but I think, I mean, yeah, th- this has been, a, this is a very old debate about, about what the ultimate goal is. But I think when I am working with somebody, I, I really don't have like a hidden agenda, but the bottom line I think is for, for, you know, to say that somebody is mentally healthy is somebody, it's not somebody who never has problems. Right. It's not somebody who never has negative emotions. Um, one of the things I, I think it's really important for people to understand is that coping is not the absence of feeling. So you can be having a lot of strong feelings. You can be sad, you can be angry, frustrated, whatever, and still be coping really well. They're, those are not the same thing. Okay. Um, so it's not the absence of feeling. I think people who are functioning well, so they are able to problem solve, they have satisfactory relationships that are mutually you know, compatible, mutually satisfying. They're not doing harm in the world. I, that, I mean, that I would not help somebody. If somebody came in and said, oh, I wanna be a, I wanna learn to be a better serial killer. No, <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm not gonna help somebody learn how to be harmful in the world or or more harmful in the world. Um, so I think, you know, people that are, that are um, feeling good about themselves in a general sense, people that are mostly realistic, again, you don't want to be completely all the time, that tends to be more depressing, but has a healthy dose of optimism with some reality mixed in. Um, and I think the ability to ask for help is, is important because we need help. We're, we're human beings are not solitary creatures. We're not meant to be. And, and it doesn't work for us to be by and large. So, and contentment I think is, is good. And, and whatever that means to you, because some people are highly ambitious and they really want to do a lot of stuff and that's great. And so for them, contentment is I keep going and I do a lot of stuff. For somebody else, contentment is I work at the 7-Eleven and I go surfing every day and that makes me happy. Okay. There's nothing right or wrong about ambition. 
you know, there, you don't have to be ambitious and you don't have to be, I mean, we have a culture that's all, you know, go for this and do it. You know, hard. Yeah. Yeah. Work hard, play hard, you know, all those stuff. Not necessarily. If you like that, go for it. But if you want to sit at home, read a book, sit at home, read a book, if that makes you happy. Um, but it's being okay with that, right? It's like also being okay with who you are and what your preferences are, even if they're not what, you know, the motivational posters are telling you you ought to be. Right. Um, so does a good therapist help you navigate like what you want versus maybe, I hate to call it brainwash, but like what um, we read on social media or Facebook or things and <laughs> you're sliding into those yes. traps. <laughs> yes. A good, yeah, I think a good therapist, if that's your goal, again, if that's your goal is to figure that out, I think a good therapist does help you to figure out what's, what's you and what's culture. How do you right? like, tap people into what you are though? Like that's been a huge question for me and something I've, I find really fascinating. Like how do you point people to, to listen to themselves more tune into that? Well, I think you, you ask a lot of questions first okay. of all. So when somebody, you know, says, well, I'm going to do, is that what you want to do? Or is that what you think you should do? Mm. And have, you know, have them stop and think about, is this what I really want? And sometimes, honestly, we have to do things we don't want to do. Right. <laughs> I mean, that, you know, but that shouldn't be the whole of your life is that you're just constantly doing things. You know, I have to have chocolate ice cream when I really want vanilla. I mean, there are, there are a lot of choices that we can make that there is no right or wrong answer. It's just a choice. So which do you want? Um, other things. Yeah. I mean, we have to do that. We need, we, you got to pay your bills and you got to pay your taxes and, but you know, there's stuff that none of us are like, Oh yeah. Yay. Taxes. Um, but whether you want to do that or not, doesn't matter. You need to do it. So it's also helping people to define those things, right? Is what are the things I really have to do versus the things that I can make choices about? I mean, you don't, you, technically you could not pay your taxes as long as you're okay with going to jail. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, as long as you're okay with consequences, yeah. um, you can do stuff, but there will be consequences. And that's the piece that that's the internal external thing is internal people kind of understand if I do X, Y happens. Are they usually okay with Y? Say they decide not to pay taxes and they get caught. Well, I, I mean, no, this is hypothetical that we're talking about, but if, if they know that they made this decision and they know the consequences, are they usually more okay with the consequences? No, not an, not an extra, an internal person probably would oh, be, but an I mean. external I'm person. I, mix, I mixed them up. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, so an, in, an ex- internal person would be okay, but an external person blows up kind of. Yeah. Right. An internal person would expect it. You're right. Because it's because they, again, they feel that I, it, it would be my fault. I did it. Yep. Right. I know uh, I yeah, did got it. Got me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. An external person would be like, but I shouldn't have to pay taxes. And it's not fair. And I don't have money or whatever. I mean, again, there would be this whole external thing as opposed to you made a decision to engage in a behavior, but I didn't have the money, but you could have called the IRS and they have payment plans and stuff like again, there would be an excuse basically for yeah. why. And then they would be, you know, raging about the IRS that it wasn't fair or right or whatever, because they fill in the blank. Um, but, and that's the danger in it is, is that there's this kind of passivity and not taking responsibility. And then there could be very real consequences to being that passive or not doing things and waiting for things to just happen or expecting other people to take care of you or doing something like that. So you have like, if you had a more extreme external person who expected their parents to just continue to pay to pay for them take care of them whatever and then the parents die and there's no money 
well, yeah, you never worked and now you're 50 years old and what, now what are you going to do? I mean, you know, you could be in very dire straits hmm. and end up on the street and still be going, but they should have left me money. And, but, you know, still not able to kind of say I, it's my life and I have to take some responsibility for it. So there, it, there are real dangers on the external side and the, the, the highly external side. And the other thing with the highly external side is they tend not to have good relationships because there's just so much blame involved that other people tend to stay away from them. It feels like it'd be very energy draining if you, like, you feel like you're always trying to take care of that type of person at, on the other side of the relationship until it just burns you out eventually. Like, well, exactly. I mean, nobody wants to constantly be told, you know, you made me mad. It's kind of like an abuser. You know, I hit you because you gave me peas instead of broccoli. <laughs> right. Yeah. Seriously. I mean, but that, that is a, you know, that is an external control kind of thing. It's like, oh, you made me do this. Is this that, the, is this part of like narcissism piece, you know, like, or. Yeah, sometimes, or, but I mean, narcissists, some narcissists can be external, but not, but not everybody who has an external locus of control is a narcissist. Right, right, right. Right. It's, it's, it gets really kind of mucky because it's psychology. Everything seems to overlap, you know, in a, in a lot of different ways, you know, well, things are very interconnected, <laughs> right? Because we Which are is beautiful, integrated beings. Yeah. yeah. We're in, we're integrated beings. So um, you can't just separate out one thing and that, but that's the difficulty of something like this is it's a domino effect. So with the external thing, there's all these dominoes that fall behind it in terms of the consequences for somebody's life. And I, I've seen it, you know, I've seen it a lot in, um, clients who have relatives who are very external and they're trying to, you know, the client's internal, they're external, and they're trying very hard to kind of have a relationship with that person because it's their sister or their mother or whatever. Um, and it's just super hard because th there's just this constant blaming and anger and resentment. Well, you got this and you got, okay. But even if I did get that, I got it because I did, you know, well, yeah, you're, you have that fancy job. And well, yeah, I have the fancy job because I went and did all this money and time and effort to get a degree. And then I worked really hard to get the fancy job. <laughs> you know, right. th there's, there's a sense of it's handed to you. Yeah. And it wasn't handed to me. And so therefore that isn't fair. Yeah. And that, and so, you know, it, 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 this is why it's destructive. Yeah. And life isn't, I mean, life isn't always fair either. Like, it's not, yeah. I mean, fair, unfair things happen all the time, but something else that's interesting along the lines of that, you know, we talked about the, the, if only thing, if only I'd done this, if only I'd done that, we assume that great things would have happened. The interesting thing with the fairness issue is that we also tend to only look at when life not being fair, when it isn't fair in a negative way. But life isn't fair in positive ways, too. And we don't ever go, oh, God, that's so not fair that I won the lottery. Oh, no. You know, I mean, or I got this thing, <laughs> yeah. whatever. I found huh. that 20 bucks on the ground or something. That's not fair. We don't, we don't rail that. against fairness when it goes in our favor. Wow. Well, oh, man, I'm not going to be able to stop thinking about that the rest of the day, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> that's true, though, right? Yeah, that's pretty wild. Oh, my gosh. Huh. Wow. Yeah, that happens all the time. So sure. do we, is that, is, does that come from like a protective mechanism in us as, as a way? Or like, 
evolutionary no, who it, knows it's just, a, just a mindset i mean again it's you know it's it's kind of the attribution thing i think we don't even see it as being unfair it's kind of like oh i you know i deserved it somehow <laughs> you know that i got yeah. this thing or i'm lucky or something and it's like well maybe but um there if you look luck there is a certain unfairness in luck that one person got lucky to get something in the and somebody else didn't right yeah i mean fairness as a concept is very slippery because you, it's something that's extremely hard to, to define across situations. I mean, some situations it's pretty easy to do, but in a lot of life, it's just not, not that easy to pin down. Yeah. Um, and so then it just becomes an opinion. <laughs> this is what I think is fair, right? Yeah, or this is yeah. what I think is fair. And it, it, then it's not factual. There's not like, there's not a out external aspect of fairness. It's just, I think this is fair. Yeah. or not fair wow can can we can we go talk about one more thing before yeah. you go um i i in grad school we did i think we were a nutrition class or something like that or something like that but we were talking about behavior change and how hard that is for people and yeah it was painful just to hear the research on it to the fact that like there had to be almost like a massive traumatic event or something big enough to make you want to make a change. And it, is the research still similar to that or is it still the same where like behavior, changing your behavior is, is difficult unless you have a big enough reason to, to want to change it? Well, I, yeah, I don't think that I, it's not so much you have to have a big enough reason. You have to have a reason that motivates you and some, okay. you know, but that's just human nature. So that's never going to change. I mean, human okay. nature is, is such that we don't really like change and we are pretty hedonistic. So we only like things that feel good. Um, and change is scary. A lot of times it doesn't feel that great. We're also immediate gratifiers. We really like things to happen and we want them now and change doesn't usually just happen now. Yeah. So there's a lot of elements to change that make change hard. We also have competing motivations quite frequently. So um, is there some kind of junk food that you like? Oh, dark chocolate is my okay. Weakness. Yeah. Dark chocolate's not a junk food. <laughs> Milk chocolate's a junk food, but dark chocolate's not. We got all a right, so. we got a cheeseburger place in town. If you want to use that, so all right. So junky. you know, do you like to, you want to have a cheeseburger, right? Yeah, because you like them. Yep. Do you also want to be fit? Yeah. Right. It's not that you don't want to be fit and so you eat a cheeseburger or you eat a cheeseburger you don't want to be fit you want you really do want both things but that's the problem you want both things and they may be mutually exclusive mm. and that can make change harder and the thing about something like fitness is fitness is takes time it takes effort it's hard it's you know we're also energy conserving i should have said we tend to not want to put extra effort in if we can avoid it, we're just, you know, and a lot of this is just very kind of evolutionary, right? It's, yeah. you know, it's what we had to do to survive. Going and having a cheeseburger is immediately gratifying. It's hedonistic. It takes very little effort and it, you know, you enjoy it. It's like, it's, it has that hedonistic factor. So it fits human nature quite well. Um, change does not. So you need some motivation and you, and, and again, you also need to think that you need to change because right. why would you change if you didn't think you needed to change? Because it's hard. If, if I don't think I need to change, I'm really going to change because it's hard to change. 
Wow. Yeah. That make makes sense. Like well, as a, as a trainer, I would, um, I was, I was the GA of our, uh, wellness center on our campus and they gave me all the special population, uh, people. So it was people who were morbidly obese with uh, health issues. And, um, they were also seeing a counselor or therapist at the same time. They called it a, a special you, I think as the program, but all those people, when, when I got them, they were more motivated from my personal experience than the other clients I had prior to that. And it seemed like because they were told you're only going to live to this date or they have a wedding or, or something like that. And it just seemed like that was a big enough, um, motivator to create that change. And then they worked so hard, you know, and and not that like their weights or their level was really high, but they just knew that if I didn't do this, I wasn't going to see my kids graduate high school or something like that. And, and it, and it mattered to them. And it mattered. And I think about that with mental health though, too, is, um, is there a barrier from people looking internally and without the shit hitting the fan, as we were talking about earlier, you know, like how, how can you help people see the benefit of, of helping with their mental health? It, it, it seems like if you talk into a business sense or this is going to help with your school or something they can, they're working on that matters to them and how working on potentially their mental health, that might be a doorway into getting these tools before something catastrophic potentially could happen, you know? Yeah, it's called leverage. It's it's, it's um, having a leverage okay. that that matters enough to you to overcome our kind of natural inertia, you know, of sitting around and not doing things. Um, the people that you're talking about that came in that you had, you know, the, the kind of morbidly obese people who had been told this. There are also other morbidly obese people who have been told the same thing, but they don't change. Mm. Yeah, I didn't even think right? about that. Yeah. So again, there's still an internal factor there. Because if everybody is told that, and it was really being told that, that changed, that made you change, then everybody who was told that would change. Yeah. But they don't. It has to mean something to you. And so for the people that tried to change or did change, it meant something to them to make that change, like, or hearing that meant something. So this is the problem is you don't know what's going to be a catalyst for each individual, because again, everybody who, you know, you hit a certain weight every physician is going to start telling you, Hey, all heard you're going to have some big problems here, right? Like, you know, heart disease, diabetes, whatever. Um, but some of them still don't change. Same thing with smoking or drinking or any behavior that, that can cause health issues. Um, some people will really take that to heart and make efforts to do something different and other people won't. So it's finding something that's meaningful enough to you as an individual or, you know, to the, to the person in, in therapy, sort of helping people find, find their own leverage, that your need to change becomes bigger than your fear of changing, Got it. I think is, is often the thing. Because we do fear change for all those reasons. We don't know if it's going to work. We think we have to give things up. It's not going to be pleasurable. It's going to be hard. Like, there, you know, there are all these factors that kind of go against our, our general nature. Um, and so you, you do have to find something that's kind of more important or big enough to you <clears throat> to help you to move into it. But I also think that how it's approached really matters and whether people make those changes. And it's why I... Uh, think the mind trick that we had talked about in a previous podcast is so 
usable because you're not asking people to make big changes at, in this, you know, at once where they can easily fail, where it's, it's demotivating, it's discouraging, and then they just give up. It, you know, when you set these super, super, super small goals that you know you can achieve, then that increases your sense of self-efficacy over time. That, oh, I can't look, I did it. That means I can do it. If you don't, again, if you, whether you think you can or can't, you, you're right. So if you don't think you can do it, you won't do it. Why? Because logically that makes sense, right? Why would I try to do something that I absolutely do not believe I can do? That logically, that wouldn't make sense for me to try. Right. And we're so, here to conserve energy, right? So that's why it's really easy to kind of throw that away. Yeah, but if I just don't think I can, there's just no logic in trying. Like there, you know, if I can't do something, why would I make that effort? That that's a waste. Right. So so I have to have some sense I can. But part of learning that you can is doing it and like actually having it work. And when people set goals that are too big, you know, we and we've talked about that exercise, you know, thing with with the mind trick of you know, if you say that you're going to go and, and walk for 20 minutes and, and you walk for 10 minutes, you feel bad because you didn't even, you did half your goal. You, you failed at your goal and that's not motivating. It doesn't make you want to come back and do it again. For most people, right. it's going to, it's going to make you not want to try because we don't like to approach things that we fail at. Um, but if you <clears throat> say you're going to walk for five minutes and you walk for 10 minutes, you probably feel pretty great because you doubled your goal you, you did it and it's, you know, you were successful. It's motivating. It's reinforcing. Now I want to go do it again. It's the same 10 minutes. It's not what you do that matters in that sense. It's what you said you were going to do that matters. And you see that with weight loss goals. See, if you go back to your, your example, right? When yeah. people set a goal, I'm going to lose a hundred pounds and whatever, and they lose 80 pounds. Some people <laughs> will still feel really good about that. Yeah. And it's... that'll be great for them. But other people will feel discouraged. Right, I yeah. should have lost more. I didn't do, I didn't meet my goal, blah, blah, blah. I might as well just give up because see, I can't do it. You did do it. You just, but in, in the goal was artificial to begin with. Goals are, are artificial, you know, points that we're trying to get to, but they don't actually like exist out in the world. They exist in our heads. <laughs> right. So it should be on make a, yeah, yeah, it doesn't <laughs> exist in your, in the world. It only exists yeah. in your head. Um, but, you know, make a, make a very small goal. And if you pass it, that's great. You feel even better. And that's motivating because it's reinforcing. And that's also human nature. It's actually the nature of all mammals is, you know, if you get reinforced for something, you tend to repeat it. That's how you train dogs and yes, whales classical. and all kinds of things. Pavlov's dogs, right? Yeah. Well, no, that's actually classical conditioning. This oh, is operant conditioning. Oh, yeah, it's conditioning. called oh. operant conditioning. Skinner, that's Skinner. Yeah, we have um, Skinner's birds, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly, the yeah. pigeons. Um, but I mean, that's how we learn and it's how we tend to repeat behaviors and things that are reinforced are repeated. Okay. So if you want to try to change something, think of it in very small increments. And I think the other thing is don't look for the one big fix because it doesn't exist. Mentally, physically, it, you know, people kind of look for that. Well, what's the, what's the one big thing I have to change? It's not one big thing. It's usually like a whole bunch of little things. And that's actually way easier. It's way easier to change a bunch of small things incrementally, a little bit at a time. You're turning the Titanic slowly away from the iceberg um, than it is to try to change one really big thing, like a big tidal wave that, you know, splashes over your whole life and you're scared of what it's going to mean. Hmm. So it, it, you know, doing very small things. And again, this is kind of where a therapist can help you because 
one of the things that you do in therapy is you pace. So you, you help people to pace themselves that they don't just, you know, kind of try to run into a bunch of changes. I call it doing a wily e. coyote and, you, and I'm going to have to stop because the kids today don't know what that is. But <laughs> there used to be an old cartoon, the Roadrunner cartoons, and there was a coyote in it, wily e. coyote, and he was constantly chasing the Roadrunner. He'd run off a cliff before he knew it. And he had this, and then he'd have this little sign that said, yikes, and then he'd fall. <laughs> and you don't want to be Wiley Coyote. You don't want to run off a cliff when you're trying to make a bunch of changes because you'll scare yourself. You do too much too quickly, and then you'll just run back. It's way better to pace and make a small change, kind of stand there for a minute and get used to it. So it doesn't, you know, create a lot of anxiety, make another small change, stand there and get used to it. Another small change. And they, those changes may get incrementally bigger as you get used to changing, but I don't, you, you never generally want to start with something really huge. It just, I mean, unless it's just an emergency that you do so. Yeah. You know, you're, you are about to die from alcoholism or something and you really, really, really need to stop drinking. Yeah. Um, but then you'd need to be medically supervised, even, you know, doing something like that. But Oh, my wife was uh, just talking about, she works in the jail. This is a little side note, but it made me think about it. Like they kept, she, she just, she was just told they kept the bars open or not the bars, the liquor stores open during COVID because um, people would have alcohol poisoning in their homes if they didn't have alcohol. And that was more, or not, not poisoning, withdrawal, withdrawal we sorry. The withdrawal, yeah. yeah. And withdrawal can be very dangerous and deadly very, if you, yeah. if you are severely alcoholic. And that yeah. just blew can... my mind that our, because at the time, I don't know if you thought that, but why are liquor stores <clears throat> staying open? And then it was just like, oh, well, that makes sense. They're trying to not yeah. kill people. <laughs> it's deadly. It's, yeah, uh, yeah um, a withdrawal off of any depressant, like alcohol or benzodiazepines or any depressant medication can be very deadly. And it's not, you shouldn't do it without some kind of medical supervision. Yeah. Um, but at any rate, the, it's, it, making the smaller, you know, starting out incrementally, and the thing with the mind trick is that you never make a goal that you don't feel you can absolutely make, that you can absolutely do it. They're not, the idea is not to challenge yourself. And I think that's the other piece is we do all this challenge and then we feel frightened. I can't do it. So then I don't try to do it because it's better, you know, psychologically, we just feel better not trying than failing. That's something that was important to us to do. So it's how you approach change. Okay. You can, you can change and people change every day. I see it constantly. You know, I mean, I work, I've worked with a, I don't know, into the thousands of clients now over time. I've seen tons and tons and tons and tons of people make changes. Yeah. Um, but you, yeah, you have to want it for some reason, whatever that reason is. And it, and it's a personal reason. Cause again, it's the meaning that it is to you. It's not a meaning that it is to someone else. It's like, what does it mean to you to achieve whatever this changes that you're trying to make? And then to do it slowly and incrementally um, in a way that feels good to you and, and feels like progress. And then just also helping people to not fall in the trap or of all or none. Either I've completely changed or I haven't changed at all. It's like, no, some is always better than none. We're not trying to be perfect here. And, you know, even if you hit a goal, it may be that, that now you transition to a different kind of goal or something else because you reach a point and now the view is different. And I see like, you know, I thought I wanted this, but now I really want that. That's so what ended, also just, yeah, that's what ahead. ended my pole vault career is uh, I, I got close enough to the top of the mountain to see what it was like to go, oh, I never really wanted to go to the Olympics anyways. And I'm kind of sick, at, sick of living at home with my parents. You know, this whole 
yeah i've but then you know that you're biting fighting those other demons of well i've come this far <laughs> you know kind of a thing yeah and there's a whole i can't thing. remember the name of it i'd have to look it up but there is a whole like psychological construct around um and it's a fallacy it's a logical fallacy of i kind of need to keep putting effort in because i've already put effort in yeah that's happened that happens to me all the time like it, well, it's very common. It, that's why it's it's like known. It's like a known, you know, logical fallacy. People will do it with money. Well, I've already spent this much, so I should just keep spending more to get. Instead of saying no, <laughs> I need to stop because I've already spent this much. I don't. I don't really want to spend more, either effort, you know, psychological, physical effort, or money. Um, but it's kind of like we think we're going to lose more somehow if we don't continue, yeah. as opposed to just cutting the loss and saying. No, I, I'm done. I've, I've reached my point. This is as much as I want to put into it. Um, and just kind of accepting, either accepting a loss or it's not really a loss. You got something out of it. You just didn't go further. Yeah. You didn't what, what, lose anything. You just didn't gain something beyond it. What was that? And those are two different things. What was that fallacy called? You just said? I don't know. I no, can't remember okay. what the name of it is. Sorry. I'd have to, no, I'd have to right. look it up. I just know that it exists and it's, it has to <laughs> yeah. do with like estimation of cost okay. and with people sort of continuing beyond what it makes sense to do or way beyond what they want to do um, because of a sense of I'm losing something if I, if I kind of just don't keep going and potentially in money, maybe you, yes, you might lose whatever you've already put in but you don't lose more yeah. and gamblers do that. Right. I'm just, well, oh, I've already, right. yeah. you know, I've lost it. I'm just going to keep, I'll make it back. I'll make it back. Um, but in a situation, I think like yours, you gained what you gained. Yeah. And you got a lot out of that. I mean, clearly, you know, pole vaulting and what that meant to you and what it still means to you and your career and all this stuff, you gained a tremendous amount. Right. You just didn't keep going. So you didn't lose anything. You just didn't gain more. Yeah. I think right. that, and that's the piece people have a hard time with is they feel like, oh, I lost, I potentially lost something. Well, but you didn't, you just didn't gain more and potentially you wouldn't have. Yeah. It's just, it, it gets strange. Cause I was, I was just talking to my other buddy who's in the same, he's 10 years younger than me. I just saw him last weekend about um, the external pressure from people when they put Olympics as the goal always. And we both yeah. were talking about, <clears throat> he said, he just felt finally could talk to somebody about this. He's like, I don't really care if I go to the Olympics. I just like hanging out with my friends and pole vaulting all over the world. And I like doing that. And if I make the Olympics cool, I'm not saying I don't want to do that. It'll be a great experience, but it's, it's not my big goal. I just want to, I just want to keep doing this as long as I can. So, cause it's fun. I was like, yeah. I was that person too. I wish you were around when I was jumping and I could have talked about this. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Because stopping He's, was you know, hard, you know? Yeah. Well, it is because so many people, that is the public focus, right? That's the Correct. public goal. Yeah. Of, of a lot of sports is especially things that are considered more amateur sports mm -hmm. as opposed to like football and baseball and yeah, all that that's stuff. Money. Yeah. Yeah. The money sports um, is that, well, of course, you know, you must want to go to the Olympics because that's the pinnacle of achievement, blah, 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 blah. But the pinnacle achievement is what you think it is right. for you. And that's, again, this is the piece that's very hard for people is that they just go so externally to cultural stuff but one of the things that can help with that is to understand that culture is just a set of beliefs. It's not fact. Huh. It's just a set of beliefs that people have agreed to. And culture changes all the time. 
too. And that's how you know that it is in fact, because it changes all the time. Oh man. We so... start to agree to a different set of facts. <laughs> yeah, this is wild. So you can treat culture the same way you treat your thoughts, essentially. Exactly. Because that's all it is. It's just collective thought. Oh, and that's and... <laughs> brain. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah. I mean, am I wrong? Is that no, I mean, you're, you're right. I just never tied that or put that together. That's that's wild. Huh. Yeah, it's, it's collective thought. And if you and, and you can see that by the fact that it changes and it changes, interestingly enough, based on individuals deciding something that, oh, that's not right. And every, you know, cultural shift has happened because people decided I don't believe that. Something was important enough to them to create the change, essentially. And they don't and they don't believe it. Like they, they didn't buy into that cultural belief. They didn't go, oh, that's a fact that women are inferior and and, you know, they, they can develop hysteria where literally hysteria means wandering uterus. And they thought <laughs> that your uterus could literally wander around your body. Yeah. So, and you know, fall out if you went, ran a mile. Yeah. Yeah. Enough people went, what? Um, to go, yeah, no, let's, let's think differently about this and then try to become more public in that change in belief. And then you start to get more and more people who go, oh yeah, you know what? I think maybe you're right. This isn't right. And over time, a whole culture shifts in those beliefs to where what, what was initially a minority belief becomes a majority belief. You see that more recently with things like uh, gay marriage. Correct, yeah. Which if you go back only 30 years or so, a vast majority of people disagreed with gay marriage and did not think that should ever happen. And then fast forward to now a majority of people think of course and have no problem with it. Now you always have the hangers on, right? You always have the people that are against it. You'd still have people that think women are inferior or whatever, but you, that's how you get cultural shift is people just stop agreeing with that belief system. And they work to change to get other people to come along with what they believe. Wow. That's such a cool way of looking at that. So you, yeah. So essentially what you're doing with yourself, you can do with culture at the same time, but it all starts with just, it, it seems to always go back to, you have to, you have to pay attention. You have to bring some awareness to what's going on inside and around you and ask with curiosity, like why is this? And I think, and you, and you have to be an investigator in essence, you have to uh, look at evidence for things. You know, what's my evidence that this is a fact rather than a belief. Hmm. And there's nothing wrong with having beliefs. I mean, people have beliefs and beliefs can help us, right? People have religious beliefs, spiritual beliefs, beliefs about family, whatever. You know, we have beliefs and, and it's fine to have beliefs, even if there's not a particular factual basis for it, as long as they're not harmful. I mean, there are some very harmful beliefs that people have that have no factual belief mm -hmm. basis, but some beliefs are just comforting and they help us. Um, but in terms of a lot of our decision-making in the world, it's, 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 works a lot better to try to figure out what's true right and what as much as we can know it sometimes we know again sometimes there are facts we don't know what they are they're not they're not apparent to us they're hidden in some way and so that's why i'm saying you can make a decision and it's not really even a mistake it just didn't work or whatever because maybe there were some things you just didn't know about that just tied my last question well because well, I remember in grad school almost being frustrated because there was a lot of times where you'd read the research and they're like, we still don't know. <laughs> you know like it was one of those, yeah. we did the experiment 
we still don't know. We still don't know. And being okay with the I don't know is is something that has helped me a lot, but I still wrestle with that because I don't know if just as humans, we always want to close the loop. Like we've maybe all stories end up wanting, or music even does the same thing. They end on the same note they started with. And uh, it's just going, I don't know yet. And just being that that's the answer <laughs> instead of trying to close. Yeah, up. it's well, it's finding an acceptance, right? I mean, this is, yeah. this comes back to like, you can think you can think about a lot of things and you can come to a lot of conclusions but eventually you have to jump right the first time you pole vaulted you had a lot of information but you had to jump had to just do it yeah just yeah i mean there are there are things that we are not going to always know and you have to make a decision anyway and that's that's just life not everything has an answer you know jung said some some problems have no solutions and that might seem like to me you know oh that's the bad news there's a problem doesn't have a solution but there's good news in that too, because if, if that's the case, you can stop looking for one hmm. and you can just accept it that, okay, this is just something that, that I, that happens, right. Or that this is a quirk that I do. Like I'm horrible at math. I have a math dis- disability and it's like, okay, I just do whatever, you know, I, I use a calculator. I ask my friends, whatever I ask, I, got I ask too. my echo, <laughs> you know, what's X number because I mess it up all the time. Yeah. Okay. You know, that's a problem that doesn't really have a solution, whatever. I don't need to solve the problem that I'm not good at math. I just figure out how to get math done when I need to do math. And there's lots of things out there that you don't need to change them. They're just, they just are, you can accept it. It, it is what it is. As long as it's, I think the, the question is, is it harming you? Is it, is it causing you distress? Is it causing distress in the world? If not, who cares? So be quirky, be yourself be unique you know do people always ask me about my blue hair right like why do you have blue hair i don't know i just like it do i have to have a reason other than that i like it <laughs> right yeah. no i always get asked how many yankees hats and green shirts i have <clears throat> you know? yeah, people are like, well why would you do that? you know that's whatever i'm like i yeah. didn't have to like i never asked that you have to like it i just have to like it and right. and you can if you you know this will sound funny coming from a therapist but you can analyze things too much you know, if it's just a preference and you like it, if you analyze it to death, you can kind of kill your pleasure on it. So mm. just enjoy it. Yeah. If it's that, not harmful, yeah. just enjoy too. it. I just like it. I don't need to analyze why I like it. There's a lot of things I like. I like cowboy stuff. Like I have a ton of cowboy boots and cowboy clothes and stuff. I just like it. Yeah. Whatever. Why do I need, why do I need a reason other than that? It makes me happy. And so don't, you know, there's no reason to analyze everything to death. There's no reason to um, justify why you like a certain thing or don't like a certain thing. Um, Because life is just too short for all that. Figure out the things you need to figure out. Not the stuff that doesn't need figuring out. That's enough, right? That's enough energy to figure out the stuff I need to figure out that my life works and I, you know, I'm happy and have good relationships and those kinds of things. I don't need to figure out everything else. Yeah. Well, and and you've touched on it a little bit here. Thinking takes so much energy from me, you know, and I never really thought of for a long time as thoughts as creating energy or using, using your energy. And like, and I don't know why, because anytime you see a student studying for a final or something, they're just wiped for a week, you know, they're just toast. Yeah. And, and, uh, 
just for somebody who's always constantly analyzing and thinking and trying to figure things out, there's like a gift in that, I think that I, that I have, but there's also like a balance that I'm still trying to find in a lot of ways with that too. Yeah. I mean, I, I used to a lot like you and I, I had to learn that it's okay to just be yeah, and yeah. not do right. And, 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 and to, and this mindfulness, I think helps with that because you can be in the moment and the thing that on is just how does it feel not what do i think about it yeah right so yeah. like when you're eating something or you're like how does this how does this feel <clears throat> it feels good i like the taste or whatever and that i don't have to analyze the thing just be in the experience yeah and that can really help because there's so many things in life little things i mean most of our life is made up of little things not big things very very few of us have big things that happen very often you know mm -hmm. you probably less than two pounds you could count the number of big things you get in life but every day you got all kinds of little things and a lot of those things can be quite pleasurable can make you happy you can enjoy them if you allow that if you don't judge it and you just have the experience so you put on something that you know an article of clothing that feels good and you love the material and you're just like, what does this feel? Oh, this is really nice. I like this. Or, you know, I like things that smell good. So like good smelling soaps or shampoos or lotions or whatever. And like, really pay attention to like, oh yeah, I feel good when I smell that. <laughs> you know, I yeah. have some singing bowls. I do like singing bowls sometimes because I'm very musical. Um, and so I like sound. So just, you know, little things that you don't, don't cost a lot of money. You don't have to take a lot of time. <clears throat> but you can really enjoy them and it puts your mind and your body into, you know, this nice, pleasant state. And the body is, it's amazing how geared we are for pleasure. Hmm. We can experience pleasure in like a million different ways and it does not even take a lot. It just takes paying attention. You know, stuff that you like the sound of, the smell of, the taste of, the feel of, the look of. You know, just looking at a picture of people you love and really focusing on these people that, you you know, can make you feel really good. It's just, we, we don't have to work that hard at it. We just don't attend. Yeah. Wow. I think we should end it on that. That was a really high note. <laughs> Is, um, I try. Yeah. That, wow. Um, last time we gave you a magic wand and you could change mental health any way you want. Do you want to double down on that or do you want to change your change your wand wish well i'd have to remember what it was oh i'll, I'll tell you because uh, last last time you said you wanted um to give kids these skills to get it into schools potentially and have it earlier and yeah i, thought that was I would still fun. wish that i would still wish that but i think in addition perhaps to that yeah you get two wishes um <laughs> yeah two wishes hey there are no limits right right um i I think the stuff that we were kind of just talking about is that people would cut out a lot of the, the, you know, cut out some of the judgment part that's value judgment, use better judgment judgment about decision-making and find ways to enjoy their lives and, and, and stay in the moment instead of thinking about what happened 10 years ago or what might happen 20 years from now. Um, certainly planning is important, like to just be where you are and find something pleasurable or good in the moment that you're in, because what you see really does depend on what you look. And maybe in another talk, we can talk about perspective because that's yeah. kind of what it is. And perspective really matters. You know, what, what you focus on is a lot of how you're going to feel. So 
just finding those moments. You know, I just, I hope that people will find those moments to um, find pleasure and joy and not think you have to do something big to get those things. Dr. Elam, you're the best. <laughs> Thank, <laughs> Thank you. you. Thank you. I hope you found that extremely helpful. I put Dr. Elam's um, information down in the show notes below. If you'd like to, to reach out or contact her, if you have any questions, uh, reach out to me on social media and I can pass those along. Or if you have questions for me, let me know. Again, if you'd like to support this podcast, onewholelifemedia.com or owlmh.com. I bought so many domains just because I didn't know what to call it, but all of those work and they send you to the exact same place. <laughs> so, guys, in the next podcast, we are talking to an Olympic gold medalist who turned mental health advocate. I'm really excited to share that one with you. And remember, as always, life is meant to be experienced and curiosity will get you there. See ya.